morning, everyone. Um, I would say welcome to Revolution Church Minneapolis, but we're not Revolution Church Minneapolis. We are the Doubters Believers Alliance, um, kicking off today on August 1st. I can't believe that it's already August, uh, but it is what it is. Um, I am not the greatest technological wizard in the world, so on the Facebook here, it's still showing up as Revolution Church Minneapolis. I might either uh, troubleshoot it myself sometime or call Caleb and say help because I don't know how to change. I can change the picture. Yeah. Oh, well, Amanda can help me. So there we go. Um, anyway, uh, as I said last week, I um, alluded to we were having a special speaker today. And we do have that. Um, and a little bit of background about the speaker. Uh, my best friend, Scotty Williams. He's, I should say, Reverend Dr. Williams. He's um, from, he's from all over the place. You grew up in Louisiana. You also grew up here in the Twin Cities. And now for the last 11 years, you've lived in uh, Switzerland. So, um, yeah. You've done ministry over there, you've done pastoring, you've done a lot of things. And what I think's cool about today is you're going to kind of piggyback off some of the stuff that um, I've been talking about. But one thing that we've wanted to do here at Doubters Believers Alliance is to, yes, be out there in the community, but not be in a vacuum of just of our own thoughts, of our own opinions, um, and of not always having white people talk. <laughs> And uh, so I'm grateful that you're doing this. I'm grateful you're coming at it from um, a black exp- uh, the black experience, the African-American perspective. And I'm sure it's going to be a lively conversation. As always, keep your comments and questions coming in, and uh, we'll see if we have any questions. So welcome to Doubters Believers Alliance, and I'm going to hand it over to Reverend Dr. Scotty Williams. All right, let me get situated here okay okay well thank you so much brian for having me um on um this this would you say episode or just this this talk um and i think it's like the first talk where it's officially doubters and believers alliance and so i'm really honored to be here in this new phase for this wonderful community i'm a little bit you know more about myself as brian said I am originally from the great state of Louisiana, um, but also grew up here in um, in the cities, grew up in Minnesota, went to high school in Brooklyn Park, actually. And so Minnesota is my second home. My third home, what's been my home for the last 11 years, has been Switzerland. And there I work as a pastor in um, the National Church in Canton St. Gallen. And speaking of Switzerland, today is the National Day of Switzerland. So happy birthday, Switzerland. Schöne Bundesfeiertag um, to all the people um, back in Switzerland, especially those in St. Gallen. I also, um, my specific work is that I'm a pastor to English speakers in our canton, in, in um, St. Gallen, in East Switzerland. And I pastor a community that I planted about six years ago called All Souls Protestant Church, um, where everyone is is welcome. And so that's a little bit more about me. And um, as and I think I'll get into the talk for today. As Brian said, 
I'm going to piggyback off of this theme that he's been on. I'm an avid watcher of what's now the Doubters and Believers um, Alliance. And Brian has been on this theme for the last few weeks, dealing with people leaving the church and specifically leaving white evangelicalism. And there's been this exodus, um, and they call it ex-evangelicals, right, Brian? This exodus and this exodus is of people, and, and they're, and unlike the past, they're leaving loud. They are not, you know, just going off into the, um, the sunset quietly. They're actually calling out the problems, and there's been podcasts like, um, about what happened with Mars Hill and other such communities. There's been books, um, you know, describing this exodus. Um, Brian's been going through Jesus and, um, John Wayne. And so, um, and he, and as I said, you know, this exodus he's been talking about has been about what's happening in, um, with white former evangelicals and also white folks leaving mainline circles. Um, but I want to talk about Another exodus is happening. I call it the other exodus. Um, and this is the exodus of people of color from white churches and not just evangelical churches, but also mainline churches. Um, over the last, you know, probably 15 years, you've seen people of color, um, especially black folk leaving white churches and we, and, and I want to hit on this unique aspect because there's this assumption that everybody's leaving for the same reasons. And for us as people of color, we're leaving things like white evangelicalism for very distinct reasons. And so I want to help make those reasons clear. Um, and yeah. And so just, you know, to present our perspective, why are people of color leaving and specifically why are we leaving yeah, yeah, white churches. And I'm not just going to look at why we're leaving white churches in America, but also Europe, because I work in the European context and I see this other exodus happening as well. Um, for the talk today, I'm going to answer two questions. And these questions are, first, why are people of color leaving white congregations and denominations in America and Europe? And then the second question is, where are they going? So first, why are we leaving um, white congregations in Europe and, and America, the United States? And where are we going? So I'm going to start. Question one, why are we leaving? Well, people of color, the basic, the simple answer, basic answer is that we are leaving white congregations and denominations in American Europe because of lovelessness. And I'm going to define what love is. Um, love is a steadfast commitment to the well-being of others. And lovelessness is a lack of that commitment. And what we have found, and especially in recent years, in white congregations in the U.S. and Europe, we have found um, that this commitment to our well-being, this that th th love has been lacking in white spaces, you know, and not just the church, but 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 you know, even secular spaces, but it's been lacking in sacred spaces, and we experience this lovelessness 
in a number of ways, but I'm going to focus on, um, because there are a lot of ways we experience it, I'm going to focus on four major ways that we experience a lack of love. And I'm going to use personal stories as well. And Brian, if I go over time, just please (laughs) give me some sign um, to wrap it up. So the first is what I call paternalism. And paternalism is where we are treated like children or often say we're treated like the noble savage, noble natives and the white brothers and sisters are the missionaries who have all the answers for us. And as that we're treated like children who always need guidance, always need a hand to move them in the right direction. And we're treated like children and, 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 and noble savages or, or noble natives instead of equal siblings in Jesus Christ. And so a personal example of this in my own life and ministry um, is I found that no matter how much experience and education I've gotten, I've always been told to be humble. I've always been told, you know, and of course, humility is necessary, but I'm constantly told be humble, you know, have a learning spirit. I'm told this in, in white sacred spaces. And, and I'm told this when I will, you know, in, in many ways challenge certain things that I see. And I often tell my wife, they want my potluck dish, but they don't want my perspective. They want my black Creole food at the potluck, but they don't want my perspective. And, um, and it's gotten to the point now, uh, and this, this happens even in Switzerland. And this happened recently, um, when I was at a forum on the Black Lives Matter protest and there was someone there getting paternalistic. And I finally had to say, look here, I am a pastor in, 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 in the national church. I have a doctorate. Um, I'm a taxpayer. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm almost 40 years old. I think that I've lived long enough and learned enough to know what I'm talking about. And so, you know, that's the first thing we experience is this paternalism where we're treated like children. We're treated like natives with a missionary and, you know, and, and people want our, like I said, our potluck dish, but they don't want our perspective. So that's the first thing. The second thing, and this one really gets to me and, and this pushes a lot of, makes a lot of us leave, um, is stereotypes. We are often not seen for who we are and we are treated according to ideas of who our people are. And these ideas often come from things like I found in my experience films and they end up becoming expectations that people have for us. Um, and especially in ministry, they become expectations. So an example from my own experience is that many Swiss people where I serve now, they, they've watched the movie Blues Brothers. Or they've watched movies where, where there's a black church and, and, and there's a black pastor depicted, but mainly Blues Brothers. And they think that James Brown's portrayal of a black pastor is how black pastors are. And as a result, they've expected me. I've been expected to act like James Brown and Blues Brothers. I've been expected to come down from the pulpit, jump, shout, hoop, holler, 
just like in the film, um, break out in a gospel song in the middle of the sermon. Um, and the problem is when I fail to do this, when I fail to live up to these stereotypes, these expectations, they show up as complaints from parishioners on the job review. And then I have a choice, you know, and, and, and now it becomes even more difficult when you have a family. And I've seen this with colleagues of mine. It's more difficult when you have a family that you have to either perform to stay employed, go along with, 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 with the expectations, the stereotypes, or risk unemployment by being yourself. So stereotypes, you know, people, they're not harmless. They become expectations for us. And then in order to remain in that space peacefully, we have to live up to those expectations. And for those of us who are employed in white congregations who are of color, we risk losing our job if we don't go along with it. The, you know, so that's the second, one of the second reason or another reason that we leave. A third reason that we're leaving is I find degrading the church's or the sacred spaces that we come from. We are often told um, in white churches, white, white sacred spaces, and, and this is not just conservative evangelical, it's also progressive mainline. I've heard stories as well, and I've experienced it myself. Um, we are often told that our cultural churches and their way of doing theology is somehow subpar, somehow behind and we're even encouraged in some white spaces to become missionaries or evangelists to correct our people. And, and, and I remember I was trained in a evangelical Christian school and there were some folks there who would say, well, if your churches would just become like ours, if they, if they would embrace a certain form of, of, Reformed or Calvinistic theology or a certain form of conservative theology. Um, or, and I've heard it in Europe as well, um, amongst free churches and certain state churches. I've heard, you know, that if, if, if the black American church just embraces, for example, the sexual ethic of, of the churches in Europe, um, then we will be okay. Our problems will be solved. Um, you know, and I use, you know, as an example again, you know, my, time in an evangelical, because I was trained in an evangelical Christian school, um, and, and it was wonderful. A lot of wonderful people there, um, but I was often encouraged to be a missionary, and at one point I drank the Kool-Aid, and I, and, and, and I started saying, you know, I'm going to go back to rural Louisiana, where I'm from, and I am going to bring the gospel, or bring right doctrine to the denomination that I grew up in, which was the National Baptist Convention. And one day somebody asked me, they said, well, you know, because the National Baptist Convention, some of my ancestors helped to start it. That denomination started in like the late 1860s, right after the Civil War, because white Baptists in the South didn't want to worship with black Baptists or wanted to relegate us or relegate them. I'm Presbyterian now, so relegate them to... Um, separate, you know, worship spaces. And so a lot of my foreparents, a lot of my ancestors were just like, well, we're not going to do that. We'll just form our own denomination where we can freely be ourselves. That's how black churches, you know, or, or non-white worship spaces came about. And 
you know, and, and I, I grew up in a spiritual legacy that's, that, that, that was forged in, um, in, in, in slavery. Two of my great grandparents were, or great great grandparents were actually born before emancipation. That's how close slavery is in my family. And so I grew up in this tradition that was forged in slavery. Um, you know, that, 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 that survived Southern Reconstruction, survived Jim Crow, you know, um, the, the, the same tradition launched the civil rights movement. Many great civil rights leaders came out of the National Baptist Convention. And, and, and then I'm told when I get to a white, you know, Christian space that that tradition is subpar. And so then I'm thinking I will return to rural Louisiana where I'm from and, and I'll be a missionary. I'll bring the gospel to my people. And so, so, you know, to wrap that up, we're often, you know, encouraged to be missionaries to, and I say this, colonize our people in a way. Um, another thing that I found with degrading where we come from is that in Europe, and I'll often meet leaders of national churches or old state churches who are very progressive. And they will call established churches in the global south developing churches. And I'll say, wait a minute, the church in, in East Africa has been going for over a hundred years. The, the churches in, you know, in the, in, in the eastern part of the world, in Asia, have been going for a long time. And, and what's interesting, at least in the Protestant realm, the majority of Protestants don't live in Europe. Actually, a small percentage lives in Europe compared to the rest of the world. And these churches have their own synods. They have their own diocese. They've had lines of bishops going over a hundred years or, or moderators. So how are they developing churches? And when we get to the discussion about sexuality, and I think that there should be some openness, you will especially hear this in discussions of sexuality because these, these churches in the global South and the East, um, many of them, are more conservative in the sexuality. And, and, and instead of churches in Europe asking, you know, uh, about their process of theological reflection, they immediately say, well, they're just taking medieval views, old views. But really, it, it's like, no, these their leaders have been educated, many of them in Oxford, um, Harvard. They've done solid theological reflection, and they've come to a different opinion. So, 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 so don't call them developing churches and, and, and say they're subpar and degrade where they are. So, so that's another reason we leave. And then I'll give a final reason. And this reason comes from a friend of mine named Mark Harvey. And he is, um, originally from Oakland, California. He's also African American. He works in Switzerland for racial reconciliation and mediating, um, racial discussion groups. And he calls it BS universalism. And what that is, is that, you know, quite often people of color will experience racist, open racism in white sacred spaces. And then these acts, uh, these things we experience will go unchecked. And, and, And then we start to call it out. And then immediately someone comes along and points us to the bigger picture the higher principle, they'll begin to say things like, well, we shouldn't make a fuss about this. We should major in the majors and minor in the minors, and this is a minor issue. Or they'll say things like, you know, we shouldn't divide ourselves. We're all one in Christ. Or they'll say things, you know, they'll say, you know, 
they'll bring up, you know, that we're all human beings, you know, and, 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 or we're all sinners. And yes, those things are true. Yes, there is that universal, you know, dimension, but there's also on the ground, you know, yes, we are all human, but our experiences as human beings aren't the same. And so when we start calling out these issues of race, we end up getting dismissed and pointed to universals and, 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 you know, mentioning that we're, you know, all sinners. I'll point out something that I find is an inconsistency in a lot of white sacred spaces. Um, when we say, you know, that there is, you know, there is a generational guilt that white brothers and sisters have to deal with when we talk about white privilege and, and there's kind of this generational issue, they'll say, well, I'm not responsible for what my ancestors did. And I'll say, okay, how can you say that? But then at the same time on Sunday, you're singing that you're guilty of the sin of Adam and Eve, you know, so, you know, you're guilty of the sin of people that their existence is debatable, but you can't be guilty of the sins of people in the past who, who, who we know existed, whose writings we have, whose houses still stand, who, whose graves are visited, who have monuments built to them. So, 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 you know, just wrapping that up, you know, this BS universalism, as Mark Harvey calls it, is another reason we leave. And I could go on and on, but those are four, just four of many, of many reasons. Um, but in the end, these things have a negative impact on the well-being of people of color. And in my case, you know, and in the case of others, they start to lead to, to medical issues. So, um, at one point I've had clinical depression. I had to take antidepressants dealing with it. Um, I had panic attacks, um, because of it in one of the churches that, that I was just helping out in and dealing with this every week. I had panic attacks. Um, and then I had heart issues at one point and I'm not yet 40 and, 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 and I start having heart problems. And, and, and I'll say this, you know, like, like most people, I've learned to have thick skin, but I say this, you can only have thick skin for so long before all of these issues that I've mentioned and others compounded together start to wear you down to a broken heart. So these are some of the reasons why we're leaving and how are we on time? Okay. Are there any questions or comments? At this point, thank you, thank you, and I'll say this, you know, as well. Like we want getting into intersectionality. Um, you'll find, you know, and this is where I'll make things a, a universal in a healthy sense. You'll find many of these same tactics. In mainline and evangelical white churches being used for other groups. I see it with women. For example, a woman will share her experience of being, you know, of sexism in a congregation and folks will start pointing to, you know, BS universalism. They'll say, well, but all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sister, you're a sinner just like him. You need God's grace just like him or just like her because you know, some women harass women. You're, you're, you know, we're all sinners. You need grace and Jesus, Jesus died for them too. 
And I'm like, yes, Jesus died for all of us, but Jesus' death is not, does not sweep things under the rug. Rug. Jesus' death, as John Calvin said, brings all of the darkness to light. And, and, and so, 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 you know, it, it, it happens, you know, with other issues, issues as well, I've seen, you know, and, and that makes women leave the church, you know, so, you know, or, or other groups leave the church. But again, I'm speaking specifically about people of color. And so I've mentioned four things that make us, make us leave or that are the re- four reasons why we're leaving. And there are many more. Um, but now I want to get to question number two and I'm, I'm going to wrap this up. And that is, you know, where are we going? Because this is interesting. When, when you, when you look at where white ex evangelicals or whites who are leaving, um, white sacred spaces, they're going to different places than, than we are. You know, it's not that we're all becoming, you know, secular humanist and atheist. Um, for, for us, we go to, 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 to three different places that I'll talk about. The first, of course, is that there are brothers and sisters of color or, or siblings of color who go to atheism. It, you know, they go to unbelief, they go to atheism, agnosticism, skepticism. It, it's inevitable. But what's been found is that group is, is, is not very big. They're actually, you know, a minority. Um, but, 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 you know, th- th- there's, there's a growing movement, um, of, uh, of, for example, black atheists. I was even made aware of a conference and invited to a conference. Um, and, and this was in Africa of, uh, of, of atheists from, uh, of African atheist scholars and, and, and skeptics. So, there are some brothers and sisters who go in the route of unbelief, atheism or, or skepticism or agnosticism. But, but generally in most, most, for most groups of color, most non-white groups, that, that, um, that is very small, that, that, that segment. Um, at least for black folks, you know, the, the um, another place that, that, that we go, um, is to, uh, to, um, indigenous, spiritualities so for example in the black american community you're seeing the growth of afrocentric movements um dr eric mason who wrote a book called woke church he recently wrote a book called urban apologetics where he addresses this um issue with these groups um so you have black hebrew israelites that group is growing fast um, you have people getting into comedic spirituality, people getting into traditional African religions. Um, where I'm from, we have voodoo in, in Louisiana and, and there are brothers and sisters going into that, um, as they leave, leave white churches. Um, when I was, I was recently home in Congo Square and I met two, um, young, young ladies who had left, um, white churches you know um their families had moved to white churches they left and they got into black spiritualism um mixing african traditions and and mixing astrology and and all these things and and comedic spirituality so there's a huge segment that's moving in that direction you see a lot of of us going that way but um but but then the last place we're going when we leave is that many of us are just returning to the denominations and congregations of our cultures that we left. So 
there's a organization called um, The Witness. It was originally, I think, Reform Blacks or, or, or maybe Reform Blacks of America, but it became The Witness. And it's led by people like Jamar Tisby. And, um, well, yeah, he was, he founded it actually. And Jamar Tisby, um, or, or this group, The Witness, they came out with a campaign and there's a movement now called Leave Loud. So they're saying, you know, get out of toxic white spaces where, where, where you're just tolerated and go to spaces where you are celebrated. Go to spaces that, you know, for the sake of your well-being. And they're saying, and don't just leave quietly leave loud so they're saying you know sorry share your stories you know warn other people of color you know don't go there you know and not in not in this way of getting revenge but but really start looking out for your well-being so there's the leave loud movement and um and and a lot of people who are leaving loud they're going back to the churches and uh, uh, the congregations and denominations they left. Um, there was an article that came out a few years, uh, a few years ago in the Washington Post called A Quiet Exodus, talking about African Americans leaving white evangelical churches. So there's this, you know, this is another place where we're going. We're going back to, we're going back home, going to the places that we left. And they say we'd rather deal with the issues that made us leave in the first place than be in a space that isn't committed to our well-being. And, and so I, I want to say this, you know, I, I, and I'm going to close on this point. I found that no matter where we go, people of color who leave white sacred spaces, evangelical and mainline, we all have one thing in common. And that is that when we leave, we seek to build our own spaces where we are celebrated instead of tolerated. So, you know, mentioning the witness with Jamar Tisby or in St. Gallen, we have a space started by a sister named Samantha Wanjiru called Black Inc. I've seen Native Americans create spaces. I've seen Asian brothers and sisters and siblings create their spaces. I, um, you know, I've seen, you know, African um, siblings in humanity create their spaces. And, and, and it's not that we want to segregate ourselves, but we say we need a space where we are celebrated and not tolerated. And what I find in those, in these spaces of celebration is that unlike the, 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 the white spaces we leave, everyone is welcome. So with, with, with Black Ink, for example, it has a lot of white brothers and sisters and siblings, um, participating in that. With the witness, there are white brothers and sisters, siblings participating in that. Um, and I think one of the catalysts for me to, to leave loud or, or just to leave, to walk away, um, and also just to, you know, to create a space, um, has been the work of James Baldwin, The Fire Next Time. And I recommend everyone read that because he talks about himself and you know he he left the black church um you know because it, uh, for for the sake of his well-being but then he talked about how you know white spaces also you know in his time function in the same way and so james baldwin's work um it, it, it really calls people of color especially black folks in his case to 
Say your well-being is important. Your well-being matters. You know, your well-being matters to God. You know, and 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 if you don't believe in God, it still matters. You know, you don't need to be in a place where you're broken, busted, and disgusted, and struggling. You know, to fit in community, you should not struggle to be a part of community. Yeah, there's a struggle in community, but, 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 you know, always, but you should not struggle just to be a part of community and just to be affirmed by community and to be in fellowship with others. Um, it, it should not be a fight. And so James Baldwin's work for me was a catalyst. And the way that I've left has been this. I've left in the sense that, and I've told my wife that I will only serve in um, multi-ethnic international churches from here on out. And when I say that, I don't mean like multi-ethnic churches where there's a white pastor in leadership, but multi-ethnic churches where we are all equal siblings in Christ. And the idea of a black pastor in leadership is, isn't an issue because one struggle for me has been, and this also makes a lot of us leave who are clergy is that Every time we look for a new call, we have to ask, will they accept a black guy there? Will they accept an Asian person there? Will they accept an indigenous person? And, and, and I was telling my wife, every call I've taken, I've had to ask that question. And yet I've seen white ministers come into the denomination I grew up in, the National Baptist Convention, and they're embraced with open arms and they never have to ask that question. And, you know, there's even, uh, you know, at least for, you know, and I'm speaking from my experience as, as, as a black person. Um, there are even black clergy networks where when someone is looking to apply for a call, they say, Hey, brothers, sisters, siblings, um, are we, you know, is, is it all right there? And then, you know, eventually the opinion comes up. So I said to my wife, I shouldn't have to ask that question when I'm looking for a call to serve God and serve God's people. I shouldn't have to ask, you think they'll accept, you know, a, a, a black man there? I shouldn't have to ask that, but I'm not the only one asking. There are thousands of us at, you know, asking, asking that question. And so for me, like I said, you know, I'm, I've left loud in that sense that I'll only be in um, churches where I know that, you know, they're accepting of, you know, the idea of following a, the leadership of a person of color isn't a question. Um, but I've also left loud um, by creating a space, or, or I've also created a space, sorry, I've also created a space um, that I call the La Pan Project. So I, um, I'm, I'm, I've um, taking up the ministry of children's books. So I've started writing children's books and this was my first one. Um, it's called the elephant and the whale. And the community that I come from in Louisiana is some people call it black Creole. Um, and you know, it's just French roots. Um, in South Louisiana. And this book is one of our folk tales and I'm using these folk tales as parables, um, in a way to give wisdom from my people, to give wisdom from my ancestors, to, to share it, especially with black children, um, but to share it with all children in hopes of making this world better than, than when I entered it. I'm going to close with this. There's a prayer that I pray. It's from 
the um the Puritan devotional, the Valley of Vision, and the name of the prayer is Lord of the Oceans, and it has this this imagery of a bark being upon the sea, being tossed to and fro by the waves. And when I encounter the issues of race in the church, I imagine that being tossed to and fro by these waves. But there's a part in the prayer where it says, Lord, bring me to a safe harbor. Then it says, may I pour the, I believe the oils of peace upon the waters and calm them. And it say, may the world this day be better because I lived. And, and that's ultimately my, my hope. Um, my hope is as people are leaving, as people are coming in wherever they are, that the world is made better each day because we live. And so with that, um, that's the end of the talk of the other exodus. Um, and, and I hope that, you know, it was informative. Um, are there any questions or comments from those present with us today? Um, it's interesting. So I can share this, this now. Um, so our congregation, um, you know, like, like a lot of churches, COVID-19, um, really had a hard impact because our community is international as well. So, for example, our music team, our cantor, she is from Hong Kong. Our organist and pianist is from, she's from Australia, um, and the UK. Um, and then our, um, guitarist, he's Swiss, but we have people who are from South America, Africa, parts of Asia, um, all over Europe as well. And when COVID-19 hit, a lot of our people went home and the community, because of the loss of those people, just could not, cannot be sustained. So on November 30th, all souls will close, close its doors. And my wife and I are talking about the possibility of going back to the States or coming back here, um, and, and doing work. Um, we're also looking at just the possibility of other international churches. So please keep us in, in your prayers. Um, the one thing about writing this book is, like I said, I, it opened me up to a side of ministry that I don't want to leave because so often when you tell people you're a pastor, there's all this baggage that comes with it and it dampers conversations. But when I speak to people as the children's author, you know, it, it, it opens up so many doors and it, 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 it allows me to share the gospel of Jesus, the good news in ways that I couldn't as a pastor. The other thing that's making us, consider coming back to the States at least, um, is that there aren't that many black male children's authors. And so, and, and the networks for brothers such as myself are more here in, here in the States. So, yeah, so we're, we're thinking, you know, what will be the next step? Keep us in your prayers about that. Yeah. I don't know how I can finish or say anything that will compare to that. No, um, I just want to say thank you to Scotty for giving your perspective, giving your background. I know I appreciate it immensely because um, whenever I talk about like the evangelical movement and my issues with evangelicalism, you always kind of sharpen me and you're like, oh, that's the white people, like the white brothers and sisters idea. That's not like people of color always going through that. Some, yes. Um, 
I know, I, you know, I follow people on Instagram and Facebook who are like brothers, who are atheists or getting into all these other, you know, Afrocentric religions. But I do think what you were saying is quite true of a lot of the ex-evangelical movement, a lot of people leaving the church are, um, are mostly white people and their experiences are valid. Uh, their trauma or their hurt is valid. But to say that everyone is moving, you know, away from the church or are away from evangelicalism and aren't, you know, Christians or aren't searching is just simply not true. And we have to realize that it's a white, it's mostly a white experience that's happened. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that is just one perspective. And that's why I was excited when Scotty was saying what he was going to talk about. And I was like, exactly, because we don't want Doubters Believers Alliance to be like in a vacuum of just hearing our same voices, the same experiences. Not saying that that's bad, but I wanted to have other people's um, experiences spoken as well. Yeah. So with with what I love about like things like the Doubters Believers Alliance is that you know. I'll say this, it's not just people of color creating these spaces of celebration. It's also like I noticed with the white ex-evangelicals, they're creating these spaces of celebration, no matter where they end up in faith. And um, the Doubters Believers Alliance, you know, um, is is such a space. And I just want to say, you know, thank you for having this. This is needed. And um, it encourages me. And so many blessings on you, brother. Well, thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, so I, well, one last thing I'll say on, in our notes and in the comments section is we have Scotty's link, his, um, his website, uh, linked in there. So where you'll find all the things that he's done, all the like blogs he's written, um, how to order this book. Um, it's all self published and all that stuff. So it's a incredibly beautiful and gorgeous book. I never before he knew before he told me he was writing it. I'd never heard of this of this you know Creole tale, and it's wonderfully and beautiful. Um, so it's your passion project. It's a wonderful book. So go online and look at his website. Once again, I can never recommend James Baldwin enough because James Baldwin was such a powerhouse. Um, yeah, and can we're with Doubters Believers Alliance. Some of our uh, like our Instagram is fully transferred over to doubters believers alliance revolution is still the name on facebook because i am not technologically literate i guess in some things so amanda said she'll help do that so all of our um name and verbiage will be transferred over in the next week or so um but yeah so this is our first week as doubters believers alliance come back and next week and yeah so everyone have a good day and we'll see you later Bye.